Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Holy City Hoops podcast. Tommy Glasgow here. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving and a nice long holiday weekend. I stayed in CAA territory. I was up in Delaware with my fiance's family. Did a turkey trot, which was a regrettable decision, but the good thing about that is you don't feel guilty eating extra a few hours later, which was nice. Also had some CFC basketball on. So three games over the weekend in Orlando for the Advocare Invitational Tournament. Cougars finished 2-1, and one, which, as Cullen and I are going to break down later, was a pretty successful trip. Cullen, you'll remember from last episode, he came on to preview the tournament. So naturally, we had to have him back to kind of recap everything, talk about what we expected going in and how the Cougars ended up finishing. Again, super pleased with how the team looked in those three games. Also this week, you maybe saw this on Twitter, but Jeff Goodman, our pal Jeff Goodman, who's now with Stadium, did a power rankings of the best CAA coaching positions. And lo and behold, CFC finished number one on the list. Jeff even said, no brainer here, given the facilities, the city, the recruiting base, the budget that the school gives the basketball program, the visibility of it. College of Charleston, one of the best mid-major coaching jobs in the whole country. So that was awesome to see. Make sure you check that out. Pretty awesome that we have one of the best programs in the country and other people are recognizing it. I thought that was pretty sweet. Outside of the Advocare Invitational, Cullen and I also look ahead to two games this week, starting with SC State Wednesday night at TD Arena, and then the following Saturday, Charlotte comes to town. Two teams the Cougars played last year, two teams they beat, so you definitely want to keep the momentum going if you're Charleston and not fall into a trap game there, so we talk about that. And then we wrap up by going around the CAA, so we just check in on other teams in the conference how they're doing. There's some injuries in the conference. There's also some marquee wins that a conference should be pretty happy about. We talk about that to wrap things up. Again, quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Also, make sure you're following us on social. Shout out to everybody following on Twitter and Instagram. Those channels are getting really active. Uh, We'll have to do like a mailbag piece or something like that down the line. But without further ado, here's me and Cullen Baldwin. Colin, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? You have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah. I had a great Thanksgiving. Um, you know, it's always good to see the family and, and hang out. And luckily this year we had some Cougars basketball on, on Thanksgiving Thursday. So that was a, a little uh, gravy, if you will, for being topical here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had some basketball. Avocare Invitational down in Orlando. The Cougars played three games. Came out of it two and one. Which, all things considered, considering the draw and considering the three teams they played, I think to to finish 2-1 and one is pretty successful. First game against LSU, they came in the 19th ranked team in the country. We had talked beforehand about Naz Reed being a potential issue. He got his Sports Center poster on OC Smart, but Cougars lose that one 67-55. What were your overall impressions from that game? Yeah, you know, I I was really satisfied that uh, we were able to hold Nasreed in check there. Um, I think he only finished with like six points, and and two of those were dunks. So you know, he really didn't use his range uh, to his full ability on us, and I think that's a strong testament to our defense. 
you know, it was kind of like a classic Earl Grant game too, where while the offense was struggling, we kind of still dictated the pace of the game, played slow. Um, you know, we took all, all the time that we could off of the shot clock. And ultimately, you know, I, I just don't think we could match up with them athletically, but um, it wasn't the worst showing, but it's interesting to, you know, at least consider what could have been had the uh, three ball been there that day. A lot of similarities to the Oklahoma State game, I thought, where the shooting wasn't there. Riller obviously struggled with a lengthier, bigger opponent. Right. Brantley has another big game. And then it's it's that one stretch that always seems to plague them against these Power 5 opponents. This time it was the slow start. So out of the gates, I think LSU goes up 18-5, to and then you're just playing catch-up the rest of the way. And the team, as is, just isn't constructed to to make up for those sorts of deficits right yeah it's um you know it's always a weird game when when grant reeler ends with more assists than he had points but at the same time you know that is i think that's an encouraging um and developing facet of his game where we've seen him distributing the ball well more uh in the past three or four games or so it's been uh nice to watch and unfortunately you know we couldn't get other guys to step up offensively to get the win but at the same time, like you said, Jarrell stepped up, and, and I think Brevin finished with 11, which was good to see as well. Brantley has a monster game, 27 points on 9-for-19 shooting, 3-for-6 from the arc, and 6-for-6 six six from the line. He also had 9 rebounds. He always shows up big against big-time opponents, you know, Miami, Villanova, Auburn, obviously, last year. So another huge game for him, basically carrying the load on his own. Like you said, Galloway was the only other player in double figures. The team as a whole, 34% from the field, 20.8, 5 for 24 from three, and even from the free throw line kind of struggled, 66% on 22 attempts. So just not enough offense, but the defense was there to, to kind of dictate the pace, and it's not like LSU blew the doors off the place with only 67 points. So, Right. Yeah, there, there. I mean, there are some positives to take from the game. It wasn't the result we wanted, but I think we did – end up out rebounding LSU maybe by one yeah um and part of that's probably because we missed I think 35 shots in the, over the course of the game so we did have a few more opportunities to pull down some offensive boards but um you know that, that was encouraging too to, to see the rebounding um continue it's, it's been pretty good this year yeah I mean sort of the, along the same lines as that OK State game the rest of the numbers besides the shooting were pretty even so CFC holds the edge in rebounding in that game, 35-34. CFC only has 11 turnovers to 13 for LSU. Nothing really stood out on the box score just other than their shooting percentages, and they were certainly ugly. I think after this game, I, I sent out a tweet that Charleston as a team was shooting 23.2% from three, which is one of the 10 worst marks in all of Division One basketball. So couldn't get much worse from three, and as we'll get to in a second, things kind of regressed back to the average there but yeah classic Earl Grant game like you mentioned the defense shows up the offense struggles a little bit but just not enough to to get it done so after that game we go to the consolation side of the bracket CFC plays the University of Alabama at Birmingham and holy crap did Grant Riller bounce back in that game (laughs) 
Yeah, that, I think that's an understatement even. Um, yeah, that was that was great to watch. I mean, Grant went 13 of 17 from the floor, uh, 33 points, and and dished out six assists while he was at it. So, I mean, not not only did he keep up the pace with uh, distributing the ball well, but, you know, he was fine in the net one way or another. Um, just classic Grant Riller, you know, almost unstoppable. Uh, as soon as he started his drive to the basket, it was almost a given that the ball was going in. 33 points the second highest ever in one game for that event, which is, I think, in its sixth year or something like that. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it was in 33 minutes. He didn't even play close to 40. So 33 points in 33 minutes on 17 shots. Pretty efficient night for Grant Riller. His six rebounds and his six assists were both team highs as well. So totally stuffed the box score in that one. Yeah, strong bounce back. It was... It was great to see him, you know, I th- I don't think they showed his parents as much during the UAB game. The parents were kind of the stars of the, uh, right. the Memphis game eventually. But, you know, was, I knew that he had a lot of uh, friends and family there watching him in Orlando. So it was cool to see him put on for his city there. And Jarrell also stepped up, kind of did his thing uh, with, you know, 15 and four, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it, overall good team performance. I think we had UAB outmatched athletically and, and, um, kind of we shot the ball a little better and it was good to just see uh, a little bit of offensive production from from our stars so i have some stats here uab only led for a minute and 20 seconds of the game so uh not not <laughs> much in the way of uh, lead changes in this one cfc led by as many as 23 i think that was in the second half yeah quiet game for brantley but he still puts up 15 points other thing that stood out to me was We've seen these slow starts from the Cougars. Was not the case in this game, and it seemed to just sort of snowball from there. They start the game, they go up 14-8. to eight. Riller has something like 12 of the la- of the first 22 points for the Cougars. He had half their points at halftime. Uh, so they hit the ground running, which was great to see, and just kept their foot on the pedal from there. Yeah, it was awesome uh, also to see the Jalen step up again. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know how they feel about the Jalen's nickname here, but what? When they're, they're not when, fans. I don't know. I don't know if they're fans or not, but you know, if, if they're not, they need to stop. You know, scoring and uh and bunches together. It seems like when one shows up, the other shows up, and that's true. Uh, you know, I think we got seven from McManus and six from Richard. Um, so maybe maybe they like it and they they do it intentionally. I don't know. <laughs> they do seem to have stats that mirror one another. That's right. that, that's an interesting wrinkle. Yeah, the young guys got some burn at the end of this one. We saw Quan McClooney for the first time scored yeah. a bucket. That was cool. Yeah, I was a little shocked to see him, honestly. I, I was under the impression that he was redshirting. I don't know. If, I thought so, you know, too. You know, I don't know if they can play in invitationals like this without harming their status. I didn't think that was the case, but, um, you know, maybe we'll see him a little more moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he seemed to not be lost or behind out there. So... Yeah, freshman gets some time. Uh, Jasper had six points more, came off the bench and had four. Pretty much a runaway. So like I said, it's the ideal bounce-back game after a two-game losing streak, the first two losses of the season. You have Riller breaking out of his slump. The Cougs increased the average three-point percentage by a little bit. I think they shot 31% from three, which is an improvement over the 23% they had coming in. They shoot over 50% from the field. And, you know, we haven't mentioned it yet, but the defense 
held UAB to just 51 points, which is the lowest mark of any team they played this season. Right. Yeah. We held, we held them to 18 in the first half there. And, um, you know, any time that we can do that, I, we're getting into that Earl Grant basketball style there where I, I feel like that those games always favor us, the low scoring games where um, it's just going to come down to ultimately just grit determination and, and making baskets when it counts the most um, classic Earl Grant ball. UAB's numbers on offense were not pretty. Uh, so just the 51 points, 35% from the field, five for 19 from three, the 26%. Uh, a lot of their offensive efficiency numbers were actually worse than Rhode Island's. And we all saw how much Rhode Island was struggling in that game against us. So yeah, good to see the defense show up. That unit seems to be gelling as the freshmen kind of get their legs under them and kind of figure out how to communicate and how to talk on D. So yeah, I would say uh, was very pleased with kind of the turnaround after two tough losses to Oklahoma State and LSU. Yeah, that was great to see. Um, you know, and then we kind of snowballed off of that into the Memphis game where uh, things just continued to improve, it seems like. Yeah. So Memphis, uh, kind of a, a turning point for the tournaments. I was happy to see Memphis. Didn't know if we'd run into them in the consolation bracket, but they lost their first game. You still get a marquee opponent in the third game of the tournament. It's the fifth place game. And I wrote about this on the blog today, but there's a big psychological difference, I think, between going one and two in the tournament and two and one. So if you win more games than you lose, you come out of there pretty happy. And the fact that it was Memphis, it's Penny Hardaway, it's the history of that program. It was on ESPNU. To win that game, I think I'm going to say it right now, I think that was the best win of the season so far. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I, I don't think that you can state the value of that game enough for the program as a whole. I mean, I mean, this is a team that was playing in the final four, 10 years ago. They still have that blue chip name. Um, like you said, Penny Hardaway is the coach. And then, you know, we got, we got a high profile win. Memphis isn't a team you can just kick around. I know they're not what they used to be and, and they're in a rebuilding year, but at the same time, um, you know, I think that's a win that could look even better at the end of the year if they uh, can knock off some top teams in their conference like uh, mm-hmm. Houston, Cincinnati, or I get UConn's in their uh, league now, as well as Wichita State. So, you know, that's something that at the end of the year, when when we're putting together our tournament resume, um, I think it's a win that's going to stand out on our on our resume. Yeah. So, just in terms of the quality of the opponents, the fact that it wasn't like. CFC was playing this game at home where they tend to play a lot better as a neutral site. Uh, so you, game comes down to the wire. CFC totally outperforms Memphis down the stretch, which was really satisfying to see. I think Earl Grant did a great job coaching the guys up in, in the in the last couple minutes of that game. And, you know, you, you execute on offense. It was a huge offensive game, which I'm sure we'll get to. And you end the tournament on a high note. And now you come home with, with some momentum. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can, you know, continue to ride that out. We got SC State coming up, and and then uh, Charlotte. But uh, great win, two and one. Um, you and I spoke about that on the podcast last time. I think um, we agreed that if we were able to beat LSU, one and two doesn't look so bad. But with the first round loss, going two and one, um, I can't I can't be disappointed. I don't think you are either with with the effort of the team uh, throughout the Invitational. No, man, I am. I am fully on board the bandwagon. I'm ready to roll through the CAA at this point. Yeah, let's do this. I <laughs> I feel a lot better about it now. You know, I had my doubts, and, and I thought maybe we were hovering around three or four in the conference, but 
I'm ready to say it now. I think with Pusisha out at Northeastern for the time being, I think we'd be the best team in the conference right now. I would say the Rhode Island and Memphis wins are a better pair of wins than anybody in the CAA right now. Yeah. Uh, Northeastern got a really good win in Charleston against Alabama, mm-hmm. but uh, I I like the uh, the Rhode Island and Memphis wins there. Definitely. So this game starts out, it looked like it was going to be an Earl Grant special. It looked like it was going to be slow, grinded out, and then some switch flipped, and all of a sudden it was a three-point shootout, which CFC would not seem like they would be the team to get into a shootout with after how putrid their shooting numbers were. But again, just like Riller had bounced back in that first game, it seemed like the three-point shooting bounced back here. Riller scores the first 10 points for the Cougars. Brevin Galloway had 15 points in the first half, which was insane. In the first half, Memphis is 6-for-12 from three, and CFC hits nine threes in the first half alone, 9-for-14. It was just like the floodgates opened. Yeah, who would have thought? I, you know, you and I set the quota at like 35% from beyond, beyond the arc. and Right, right. Uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, they exceeded. You know, I think yeah. uh, finished right near 41%. Um, I think Brev had all of his points from beyond the arc, and, and that was mm-hmm. great to see. I think he's finding confidence out there. Um, even even Grant Riller, you know, four of seven. I think I saw a Memphis fa- fan tweeting um, – this guy is a 4% three-point shooter. Right, he came in shooting one for 15. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, I, I didn't want to get into any kind of, like, Twitter beef with this guy, but at the same time, you know, I, I thought it was worth mentioning. Do your research, guy. Yeah, look look at last year. You know, he shot 40% last year, and, and he's he's much better than the stats this year lead on um, for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so he finally starts draining some threes. Another huge game for him, 32 points. So I guess theoretically that would be the third most points ever scored in the event. So back-to-back, as you would say, 30-piece McNuggets. Yep, 30-piece McNuggets. He plays all 40 minutes this time. Uh, 11 for 21 from the field, 4 for 7, as you mentioned, from 3, 6 for 8. And almost had a double-double with assists, 9 assists, which was a career high for him. So another stat-stuffing evening. Yeah, I thought I was eyeing that triple double at halftime. I thought I thought for sure he'd get there and assist. He, he ended up a little bit short, but um, I think he had four rebounds at, at half, maybe five. And um, he was on pace then. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought for sure that we could see a triple double out of Thriller, but unfortunately, he fell short. Can't complain about the performance though. Yeah, so he he put up after going after only having four points in the LSU game. He scored enough points in the next two games to give him 23 points in the tournament and a shoe in for the all-tournament team, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, that was great to see another um, just trophy to add to his case there, uh, along with uh, the, the CAA tournament last year. And, and was he or Joe tournament player of the year? Did Joe end up getting that? Uh, so Grant was MVP of the tournament. Okay. I think he and Joe were both on the first team. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and once again, the Jalens showed up together. Um, we got five from McManus and, and seven from Richard. So. I leapt out of my seat when Jalen Richard threw down that alley-oop. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I almost wanted to talk about that on the last podcast, about when are we going to see the first poster or alley-oop from Jalen Richard, and and we got it against Memphis. Um, I think that's it was the first beautiful. to come, yeah. 
he was going to throw one down earlier in the game, and he got tripped up. Right. Do you remember that play? Yeah, absolutely. And then um, after he did throw down the alley, he and Grant were on another fast break, and um, I think Grant ended up taking it to the basket, but I thought for sure we'd get uh, back-to-back alleys there. He's going he's gonna to catch a body in conference play. I, I, I know it's coming. Yep. Yeah, so Richard ties his career high seven points. I think he set that against Rhode Island. And so, again, he's following it up a six-point performance uh, the game before. His shooting's not quite there yet. I think he still looks kind of rushed when he's shooting from behind the arc. But he's third on the team in free-throw attempts, despite, you know, limited minutes. He's just behind Grant and Jarrell, which is pretty crazy. So he can get to to the free-throw line, and if he's getting his points from there, it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's getting his points at the free-throw line, too. I think he was... Um... Five of six in that game. He has a nice, uh, smooth shot too. You know, it's a mm-hmm. very fluid and um, beautiful to watch. <laughs> and we haven't talked about yet. Jarrell Brantley struggled in the first half. Had some foul trouble. I think he only had two or four points. Comes back with a vengeance in the second half. Scores seventeen uh, in those twenty minutes. Had eight rebounds as well. I think he was the one who sank the free throws down the stretch that kind of preserved that lead for Charleston. So, again, a big-time opponent that Jarrell's going up against, and he he really showed up. Yep, he always does. Very Jarrell Brantley stat line there. For sure. So, Memphis out-rebounds the Cougars, 38-31. They outshot Charleston as well, had a better shooting percentage from the floor. Their bench outscored Charleston 25-12, to and they had a 10-3 to advantage in second-chance points, which all point to Memphis running away with this game. Unfortunately, they had 18 turnovers. Again, Charleston's defense came up big, turned those into 22 points. And when you can add in that many free points and the shooting is as good as it was in that game, our offense looked worlds better than it had the first six games. Yeah, it was it was very encouraging. I, I think I slept the best I had in a while that night. Um, just uh, very content with the Cougars shooting. Um you know, it reminded me a little of the Northeastern Championship game last year where I guess statistically they were doing everything better, but we had one guy leading the scoring charge and then it came down to the turnovers, protecting the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, like you said, they had Memphis had 18. I think Northeastern had over 20 in the championship game last year. Uh, regardless of how well you're shooting the ball and, and distributing, you're not going to win games if you can't protect the rock. Charleston takes advantage of that. It still came down to the wire, and I don't have the exact like play-by-play to finish out the game, but I knew Riller and Jarrell made some free throws. Riller had a big steal and dunk uh, in the closing minutes, which was huge to kind of uh, move the, the needle back toward Charleston. And then maybe the play of the game is somebody tried to flop on Zepp Jasper. I don't know who it was yeah. from Memphis, but they tried to, to get a call on a... They got called for a moving screen, and I was like... If that's if that's all Penny can can draw up in the huddle, I don't know about Memphis this year. Don't they know he's the honey badger? You can't you can't flop on the honey badger. You can't. No, uh, so he, he wasn't taking it. Zepp was fired up after that. Another turnover, and and Charleston closes it out from there. Yeah, um, I think the steals are worth mentioning too. I think every starter had at least one steal, and Nick Harris came up big with two. But um, you know that that's another thing where. We're uh, just stealing some possessions from them. Um, 
ultimately just contributed to that three-point victory slowly but surely. Yeah, 78 points, uh, which is real nice. Short bench in this game. I think it was a, a tighter rotation. I don't think Isaiah Moore played at all in this one. Only five players scored for Charleston. So you had McManus, uh, Richard, Galloway, Riller, and Brantley. Zero points for Jasper, zero for Harris. Not much coming off the bench, but ends up that's all you needed. Hey, win's a win. Win's a win. So Cougars now stand at 5-2. and two. We alluded to this a little bit, but where do you kind of stack them up in the CAA now? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's still some teams I haven't had a, a chance to watch play, but I imagine we got to be right there uh, one or two. When Northeastern's healthy, um, you know, I think they're going to be probably the most stout team in the conference. But for the time being, uh, given the condition we're in, only missing Keese and, and Northeastern's missing two or three players still, um, I, I'd put us at the top and, and our record shows it. And like you said, we have the two signature wins against Memphis and Rhode Island and, and not many other teams can say that in the conference. I know the records, maybe not the best in the CAA, but our only two losses on the road to a big 12 opponents. I know Oklahoma state was picked to, at the bottom of the conference, but they whooped LSU uh, the same day we played Memphis. So you lose in a big 12 gym. And then the other, only other loss on the season is to a ranked LSU team on a neutral court. So no bad losses this season. And the fact that Pointer hasn't played at all, Miller hasn't played at all. Uh, you're integrating three or four freshmen. Uh, I would say that exceeded where I thought the Cougars would be at this point. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, you and I talked about it a good bit before the season started and just this gauntlet of a stretch that we were facing with, with Oklahoma state, LSU, um, you know, if we got through LSU, we knew we were going to play Florida State. So um, to be five and two at this point, there's nothing to be disappointed about. And uh, we have a we have a pretty easy stretch until we got to go up to VCU. I think um, about middle of December, that'll be a tough game to to come out of a, uh, come out with a win. Yeah, that's the last marquee uh, game on the schedule, at least in non-conference play. But the Cougars return home this week. SC State on Wednesday and Charlotte the following Saturday. Two teams that the Cougars played last year, two teams that they beat. I think the most noteworthy thing going into this game is just do not fall into the classic trap game and think that you're returning home, you shoot a lot better at home, it's nowhere near the level of competition you've played in Orlando, and then you lay an egg. I think that's what I'll be looking for most this week. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, on paper, we're a much better team than SC State. I think they have only won one game this year and then... Yeah, one and six. Yeah, and, and like five of their losses are by double digits. So, it, um, you know, it's not like they're losing these close close games either. It's usually uh, closer on, on the side of a blowout. Um, so, you know, I'd like, I, I would love to avoid any kind of complacency, just come out firing and, and not have to deal with any kind of like close game at half. I'd like to see uh, build a, us build on the momentum and then maybe get some of the younger guys some valuable minutes to, to help them uh, continue to get those reps and, and build some team chemistry. Yeah, getting the freshmen some playing time would be excellent. You know, Jasper is still handling points until Marquise gets back, so... Uh, I'd love to see some improved play from him and Richard. Maybe Richard's shot starts falling at home. Isaiah Moore should probably get a couple more minutes against a, a smaller team like SC State. Um, SC State, like you mentioned, one and six on the season. 
The Cougars beat them 80-64 to at TD Arena last year. Obviously not the same teams as last year, but that, that certainly bodes well for our chances in this one. Charlotte, they had that big win over Oklahoma State uh, in their home arena. Uh, they're 2-2. Two and two. Their other victory is over Longwood. But they lost to JMU, who's a CAA team, obviously, and to Chattanooga. So it's not like their resume really stands out either, but obviously they're dangerous, uh, judging by the fact that they beat Oklahoma State. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think that's something that's worth mentioning. Um, you know, I think last year, you know, their big player is John Davis. Um, and I, I was worried about him going into last year, and we held him in check to like 16 points. So as long as we can play some strong defense and, and avoid any kind of um, complacency, I think we'll be fine against Charlotte. I just want to keep building on um, our momentum. It'll be interesting interesting to see how Charlotte handles Davidson tonight, though. Um, I think they might actually mm-hmm. be playing right now. So, <laughs> um, you know, that'll be telling to see exactly what kind of shape they're in because it seems like they've been hit or miss this year. Yeah, it's definitely a, a game to watch. Yeah, I'd like to see the three-point shooting kind of rebound to where it was last year. I think even last year, the Cougars shot 36%, which isn't amazing, but it's a lot better than they are right now. So if we can tick back up to that amount, you know, get some confidence going with two straight home games, that would be great. And then just some more gelling, again, on defense uh, from the team is really what I'm looking for. Absolutely. So you want to go around the CAA real quick? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So you already mentioned it. Pusicha is out, I think, four to six weeks is what's reported with a wrist injury, broken wrist. They're already missing Sean Osias. Borsico has been out as well. I think those guys are closer to returning, but we both know that Vasa is the guy who he's the straw that mixes the drink for them. So big blow for Northeastern, who was picked uh, almost unanimously to win the conference. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they can handle uh, the test. It seems like they'll be close to full strength by the time um, conference play comes around. Um, right. But, you know, for the time being, they do have some tough games, I think, and, and um, they're missing their uh, cohesive pieces there of, of Vasa and then Sean Osius, I think, was defensive player of the year in the in the Colonial last mm-hmm. year. So um, very valuable pieces. And, and it'll be interesting once Vasa comes back to, you know, a wrist injury is no joke, especially in basketball. Um, he's known for his shooting and um, I wish the best for him. I hope he's back to full strength because when, by the time we do play him, I'd love to uh, get their best game. Yeah. He's definitely one of the players in mid-major basketball that I like watching the most. I, I caught his games at the Charleston classic and he's, he's oh, yeah. so good. Elsewhere, William and Mary picked up a nice win over an A-10 opponent. They were down 20 points in the second half in Williamsburg to St. Joe's. Nathan Knight hits a turnaround hook with under two seconds to go, and they come back and win that game. That's another team that's not fully healthy. Pierce has been hurt. He's missed a couple games. Knight's had some limited minutes. They, they're playing a lot of freshmen, more than they usually would, but... Uh, it looks like they got their first marquee win of the season. Everybody's back. Uh, they'll be another dangerous team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was good for them to to end the skid they were on. Um, I think they'd lost four straight before that uh, St. Joe's game. So, um, you know, I, th- I think they'll be back to full strength. They're they're replacing some valuable pieces with um, Birchfield and, and Cone no longer there. Um, 
But I think once Justin Pierce is healthy and Paul Rowley works his way back into the lineup, I think they'll be good to go. Question, as always, with the Tribe, can they play defense? Right. Because it does not seem to be a priority for them. No. (laughs) Hofstra, uh, maybe you saw this. They played uh, at VCU, which the Cougars are going to do later this season. Took them to the wire. That game went to overtime. Justin Wright Foreman had another monster game, but Hofstra can't close it out in OT. Uh, so they fall. But Hofstra, they, I think they do have a couple nice wins already. But that was one that I kind of made note of. Yeah, that'll be um, an interesting comparison there once we play VCU, just to see how we hold up against them. Um, I don't I don't really believe in the transitive property in basketball, but at the same time, um, I'll take my comparisons when I can make them. Um, as far as Wright Foreman goes, you know... <laughs> I was optimistic that that Grant could be the uh, conference player of the year, but if if Wright Foreman keeps this going, there's there's just no way he's been out. He's been playing out of his mind. I think they've been the only two guys to win Player of the Week. I think Riller won it week one. Wright Foreman won it week two, and they were co-player this past week. Yeah, so that's fitting. Top heaviness in the CAA for sure. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome to watch these guys go against each other this year. I also think, judging by the transitive property, that Furman is like a one seed in the NCAA tournament. So I I agree with you. You can't fall back on that. Uh, Other things of note, UNCW seems to be kind of figuring things out. Uh, They played a tournament in Asheville. They lost to Gardner-Webb, which is an ugly loss. uh, But they did pick up two wins out of three games there. Shaking up the lineup a little bit. But Devontae Kaycock is still a beast. They have some turnover issues that they need to address. I still see them finishing middle to low of the pack. Um, I think they'll be competing for a bye. Anything you have on the Seahawks? Mm, no comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, yeah, Kaycock's been a beast. Um I saw a ridiculous dunk that he threw down on Twitter the other day, but um, you know, they, they have some role players that seem to be stepping up with, um, you know, Ty Gadsden and Ty Taylor. Um, Ty Taylor was a name that seemed to always pop up in TD arena. It seemed like he always found a shot there. You know, the, the Kai toes guy, I, I was kind of interested. To see, yeah, yeah. I was interested to see, good. you know, how he'd perform. Um and it's not exactly what I expected, but at the same time, it's been very respectable. And I think he'll just continue to grow into his role on the team. True freshman point guard. Um, I think he struggled for a stretch, but lately he's kind of turned it on and he's averaging like the most assists in the CA. Oh, wow. That's right awesome. Now. Yeah. Other wins of note, Drexel picked up a pair. They had a nice upset over LaSalle. And then they beat Boston University. Uh, BU is a team that, beat Northeastern in the first game of the season. So two nice wins for the Dragons. Uh, JMU and Delaware are both chugging along. I think they have some of the better records in the conference, but the level of opponents isn't quite there yet. Yeah. um, I think JMU played Charlotte. So uh, if we get back to that transitive property, um, you know, that'll be another good uh, comparison that we can make, but um once again, got to give a shout out to the Citadel. Uh, they pulled off the big win against JMU um, at at JMU, so that was cool to see. If, you know, we're doing Holy City hoops here. I guess we got to give a little bit of respect to the Citadel. Not too much, <laughs> sure, sure. 
I think based on, I mean, if we're going full transitive property, I think it's just yeah. a giant circle. It's like JMU beat Charlotte, beat Oklahoma State, beat Charleston, right. beat JMU. It turns into a <laughs> battle royale. On on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Good Good job, <laughs> Citadel. Um, we can talk when they make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, little brother. Good job. <laughs> Anything else on the CAA? Uh, no, I think that about covers it all. Um, you know, Elon's still struggling a little bit. Towson's struggling, but um, you know, I anything I've learned in in the Cougs' time and the CAA is that you can't sleep on any team. Um, it seems like <laughs> even even when it doesn't look to be a, a dogfight, it turns into a dogfight at some point. So um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the the conference shapes up this year, and I'm excited for uh, the end of December when conference play picks up. Should be a good one. At least Towson and Elon play in really nice arenas. I mean, they got that going for them, which is yeah. not nothing. <laughs> yeah, should should be a good uh, conference season. I think the bottom of the CAA is getting better. So, you know, Drexel, JMU, Delaware are all turning things around, which is not a bad thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just like you can't overlook teams in the CAA, you can't overlook the SC States and the Charlottes of the world. Cougars got to get it done, got to keep the momentum going against those teams no matter what their records are coming in. But uh, you're going to be at the games? Yes. Yeah, I'll be at uh, I'll be at both games. I'm going to go ahead and fully verbally commit here. Um, you know, Alabama plays in the SEC championship at four, the same time as tip, out, tip off on Saturday. Um, but I, I just love my kooks too much. I'm not going to miss it. Yeah. This, I mean – What's Alabama going to do? Lose? I mean, it, it... <laughs> <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. I, I don't, I don't want to get the uh, the newfound Clemson syndrome here, where uh, <laughs> you're disappointed with a close victory. Right, right. Uh, well, great. Glad you're going to be there. Uh, make sure you're loud, students. Make sure you're there as well. Cougars are back home. We've already decided that they're the best team in the CAA right now, and it should be a good one. Absolutely. All right. Take it easy, guys.